2: Listening to the Vox Media
0: Podcast Network. Live from MMA Fighting Studios, this is Between the Links. And now, your host, Mike Heck.
2: The iconic voice of Esther Lynn welcomes you to a brand new edition of Between the Links and. Look, there are very few times in the history of this show where the topics, the cycle of the topics in particular, have a super-duper short shelf life. And last week's show had a shelf life of probably less than 24 hours because UFC 279 looked a lot different than the card we ended up getting this past Saturday. We didn't get Hamzat Shemaya versus Nate Diaz. We didn't get Tony Ferguson versus The Leech. We didn't get Kevin Holland versus Danny Rodriguez. Everything shifted because of Hamzat Shemaev and his massive weight miss. And despite all that, Hamzat Shemaev might be the most interesting story in all of MMA right now, which is something we will certainly be discussing on this program today. So let us introduce the very fresh, caffeinated participants a little bit of MMA fighting in fighting if you will. First, let us introduce from No Bets Bard, from damn they were good, many other programs that you will see him or hear his voice or his takes that are just so hot and spicy. It'll melt a damn Igloo. From MMAfighting.com, Jed Mishu. Hello, sir.
3: You can also check me out on this week's ranking podcast which dropped, I believe, this morning and where I infuriated the man I'm about to just dog walk up and down the BTL streets.
2: And that man is apparently a glutton for punishment, but always happy he is on the panel. One of the best feature writers on planet earth, the man who... Got to experience a press conference that featured Jake Paul, Anderson Silva, and Chael Sonnen in the Year of Our Lord 2022 in person. He's the deputy editor of MMAFighting.com. And a nominee, by the way, for MMA Journalist of the Year in the annual Fighters Only Awards coming up at the end of the year. He's got my vote. Shadal Shadi. Hello, Papa. Welcome back.
4: What's going on, fellas? Uh, I'm going off like no sleep here. Apparently when you have a kid, they don't let you sleep. No one tells you about that. I'm just kidding. Everybody tells you about that, but it's very true. I'm like a zombie right now. You very well made dog walk me, but I think you upset AK more than me on the ranking show. I have to say.
3: That's probably true. He was he was very unhappy
4: with <laughs> he He stands for the rule of law and you were very opposed to it. It's it's, oh, cool. it's anarchy
3: anarchy all day long.
2: Uh, I cannot wait to listen to this later on rule, today but let's get it. The rule of law well has
3: no place in MMA. I mean, let's just be real. After UFC 279, we're going to pretend like, like like structure and order <laughs> order reigns supreme in this carnival sideshow sport we do. Nonsense. We're creatures
2: of chaos, baby. Creatures let's, of chaos. That's right. We sure are. Uh, So let's get into this thing before we get into the actual topic at hand and Nate Diaz moving on and where he may end up. Sean, I want to start with you because we didn't get to talk to you on the post fight show and we got to see you right up on Sunday. UFC 270 was obviously crazy. The whole fight week was crazy. The day before the card that Friday will live in our minds forever. What was your biggest takeaway from the craziness? We're five days removed. What's still kind of at the top of your mind?
4: Just again, it's the improbable escape of Nate Diaz, right? The house always wins, usually, in this sport. And and just in sports in general, the house always wins – uh, and it didn't happen this time the house didn't win and it, and the house really wanted to win like it took a, an incredible sort of unprecedented confluence of circumstances to lead us to a point where Nate Diaz was able to walk away scot free man he, he didn't have a scratch on his face. I think this was the first Nate Diaz fight I can remember in a long time where the man didn't even bleed uh, and he walked out a free man probably the, the gonna be the highest drawing the most uh, I, I should say like interested party free agent that we have ever seen in the history of the sport this man's going to have opportunities jumping at him from all sides he's going to make a boatload of money over whatever the next couple things he does and then he always has the option to return to the ufc it seems like there's an open door for him if they they ever want him back the way he was able to manufacture this and sort of use the leverage that he had To really, again, leverage it into this perfect exit that the UFC very clearly didn't want. We all saw what was getting set up. We all saw the motivations that were behind this fight card before everything changed. The fact that Nate Diaz was able to escape that, and especially after seeing what Hamza Shemaev did to Kevin Holland, like if you don't think he would have done that to Nate Diaz, he would have absolutely just done the same exact thing to Nate Diaz. And it would have been a real bummer to watch sort of this legend of the game walk, walk away on, on that sort of performance. So the fact that he's able to get out intact, pretty relatively intact it, it, off a win looking, kind of smelling like roses, kind of smelling, able to say you know, hey, I, I'm 3-0 and this week. I, I beat three guys this week. I, I have the win over Hamza Shmaev even though we know he doesn't it's all, it's all coming up for Nate Diaz, man, and it, and it really took an improbable series of circumstances, but sometimes it's just being lucky and being the right guy in the right spot, and, and Nate's been that a couple different times in his career, and frankly, that's karma coming back, right? Because for so long in this guy's career, he was underappreciated and underpaid, and these last few years, he's really been able to make the best of it,
2: and he's about to make an insane amount of money. Jed, five days later, what's your biggest takeaway from UFC 279?
3: Ooh, uh, man, the heart wants to say what it is. And so I'll do it. I'll stand on my hot take corner and I know everyone's going to hate me for it, but it's the Hamza tribes, the best welterweight alive, man. And like, I know that that's not the popular story or, and I know the Hamza didn't make welterweight I recognize this, but like the Nate thing felt good. And it's certainly in the immediate aftermath. That is the thing that's like, wow. Nate Diaz dodged the bullet, like all the bullets, machine gun level matrix dodging of bullets to somehow escape this horrible situation. But when you go, if you go and rewatch the fight or whatever, and, and then it's just like, I mean, this was awesome. I'm happy for him. Now he can do this whole separate thing. It's whatever. Like I don't, cause I don't care that much about him boxing Jake Paul or, or whatever. Super happy he gets paid. But he didn't look good in that fight, and neither did Tony Ferguson. And that's a, to be expected. Hamza chmayev looked like the best fighter I've ever seen. And uh, we had this argument on, uh, on the ranking show, so make sure you go check this out. But my basic statement here is that I know that all this bad stuff happened. I am not here to forgive or forget that. But the fact of the matter is we've never seen anyone even remotely like Hamza in this sport. Hamzat is doing to top 10, top 15 world-class professional fighters like Kevin Holland, the same stuff Bo Nickel is doing to dudes on the Contender series. That's not that's not the real world. Like that's not how it works. You expect world-class prospects to do this to other people in regional shows, in smokers in the Midwest, you know, an explode fight series or whatever. But when you level up, when you step up to the top level of competition, you can do it once. Maybe you get lucky and you do it twice. And we all thought that Gilbert Burns meant, oh, okay, we, he's, he's finding his level now. We're not going to have it. Nope. Kevin Holland got run through. Like, Hamza was a literal train. Like, it was absolute dominance in the most explicit way possible. And I can't help but think about, like, my thinking when I think of 279 – sure it's all about the anarchy and then it's like holy hell man like i don't know how you beat that dude in a fist fight like that seems not possible to me and so that that's the takeaway for me he's the best fighter in the world of his weight class and i think his weight class is 170
2: well coincidentally enough we're going to talk about both those storylines but we're going to talk about nate diaz first jed i mean we've talked a lot about him falling upwards Finishes the UFC contract with a win, a fight that was much more competitive and correct than the Shamaya fight, a submission, the cool moment. Whether it happened at two o nine on the clock, 208, who really cares at this point? But Nate gets the win. He'll can be I, can heading I, off. Can I, can I, can I make <laughs> yes, a statement please. on
3: that? Just very briefly. Have fun, people. And this is directly to Alexander K. Lee, who has been staunchly against it because order and rules, like. No, it's just way more fun if he if he won the fight at 209. Like, live a little. Dream. Dream for a, just a moment. It's okay to like things and for things to be fun.
2: Well, I mean, funny you mentioned dream because Nate was has been dreaming for years about heading into free agency and leaving segue. the UFC. And one would assume he's going to go box Jake Paul, but like Sean said, with the way that his UFC run ended, how tough the last few years were for him to go out the way that he did... He actually did not slam the door behind. He said he wants to come back and be a world champion. And who knows what that actually means or if that's even possible. But do you believe him, Jed? When he says that the door is open for a return, when, when this comes out of Nate's mouth, do you believe him? Like, what would you rate the chances that Nate Diaz ever has another UFC fight?
3: Oh, I believe him. Because whatever your thoughts on Nate Diaz, man is very, very good at business. Like, he absolutely understands what, what the lay of the land is, how to maximize his worth, what his worth is. And he did the incredibly professional and smart thing of not burning bridges. Like, just don't – there's no reason to because maybe in a couple of years I will want to do that. And they will offer me a big bag of money and I will want to come get it. Now, just because I think the door is open, I don't think he will walk through that door ever again. I, I would put it pretty low that he does come back just because – He's going to make a lot of money to box Jake Paul, and then hell, who knows? Maybe he makes a lot of money and boxes Logan Paul or Anderson Silva or whatever. You know, There are other things outside, though I do wonder how long the shelf life on that really exists. He has multiple opportunities ahead of him outside of the UFC, and he's not young. I think he's 37, so if he spends the next two years doing that, it's not impossible for him to come back, but... It is impossible for him to come back and be a champion. That there's no world in which that actually does happen, and so I think, especially with, I think he's going to really enjoy being being his own boss. You know, Connor's going to come off free agency pretty soon. He can do the Connor thing, and when you've got Jake Paul and Connor money, then he doesn't need to ever fight again. And then it's just a question of does he really want? to go back into the situation where the UFC has control over him. And I don't think he's going to want to. So I put it very, very low, like less than 10% we ever see him fight in the octagon again. But it's certainly not like a 0%.
2: Sean, in your heart of hearts, was that the final Nate Diaz fight inside the UFC octagon? Or did he perform his best George Costanza? Just go on a high note and never look back.
4: Leave him wanting more, Mike. You got to leave him wanting more, always. Uh, no, I mean, I think I think there's a pretty healthy chance that was probably his last fight in the UFC, but I'm not going to rule it out entirely. I would put it at 25%, uh, a good one in four, because I, I think the roadmap from here, at least in the immediate, is is pretty clear, right? Like, whatever happens with this Anderson Silva-Jake Paul fight, Nate Diaz is probably going to fight Jake Paul either way, but if Jake actually does break my heart and beat Anderson silva That fight's gonna be obscenely huge. Like Jake Paul, Nate Diaz is gonna make Nate Diaz 10, 15, maybe more million dollars. And then, as Jed mentioned, the Conor McGregor thing sort of lingers over all of this because Nate is starting this fight promotion, Real Fight Inc. He's gonna be able to do a Real Fight Inc uh, slash McGregor Sports and Entertainment trilogy fight at some point down the line. It feels like both these guys have set up sort of for this and have talked about this, maybe not internally, but it seems like they're both of the same mind with this who Connor's contract is going to run out relatively soon. Not it's not in the immediate, but it's out there in the distance and the UFC is paying attention to it. If they are able to finagle that to where they can have their third fight under their own banners promoted by themselves, it'll be massive. They'll, they'll be able to take the lion's share of the profits at that point. Nate can walk into the sunset and never have to do anything again and have close to generational wealth right between the Jake Paul fight and that. So it feels like there's a very easy roadmap for him to get where he needs to go. Uh, and, and I would I think at that point, why go back to the UFC unless it's for some type of one off? And so I could see him doing that. Ultimately, if, if he's able to make all this money and then there's something in the UFC that he finds interesting coming in almost like a LeBron James signing these one fight, one year contracts like he did with Cleveland for a while or Miami or whatever. Just coming in and doing like a one one off one fight contract with the UFC and then getting the hell out again, that type of thing. I could see something like that. He's never going to be locked down, though. He's never going to be locked down. Like there's never going to be a fight, fight Nate Diaz contract in
2: the UFC again. That type of thing. So just to add to this, because this isn't get talked up, talked about a lot, but it has popped up here and there this week. Sean, Nate's obviously a very hot commodity right now, and like you said, he's also very wisely started his own promotion, announced it at the beginning of fight week. Brilliant move. But you know that every single promotion is going to take a big swing here. Bellator, PFL, one, all of them, all of them. In fact, right. and no they're dumb one, if they don't, they're yeah, dumb if they don't. Absolutely. In fact, no one has been more aggressive out of the gate here than freaking BKFC. They will throw money at him and they want to offer him Mike Perry, which would be a very big fight for them. It'd be the biggest fight they ever did. And they would pay Nate to make that happen. But You said the five fight deal getting locked down for the UFC, probably not a thing, but is there a chance at all that Nate Diaz has fights in other promotions outside of the UFC or outside of something that his promotion will not be heavily involved in? So if there are other companies that aren't willing to put a 50, 50 type of co-promotion on the table, do you see a world where team Nate Diaz even entertains these offers from any other promotion? Not really. I think it would have to be a godfather offer, really. Like,
4: like an offer that you just straight up can't refuse. And I don't know that there's that kind of deal out there unless it would be like a co-promotion. Because I think at this point, that's what Nate Diaz would be looking for for anything, where it's going to be Real Fight Inc. slash BKFC or or anything like that. Who knows if that's even something he's interested in. He hasn't really given tipped his hand one way or another. But I think regardless of where Nate Diaz is going, Real Fight Inc. is going to be involved to some degree because that man is going to take uh, most of the money coming from the, the fights that he, you know, he built his name. Like, he built his name to this point, and now he's able to cash in. And it makes sense. Again, as you said, he's a very, very good businessman.
2: Jed, what say you? Will there be a Bellator Nate Diaz fight, a PFL Nate Diaz fight, BKFC, anything? Or is this just going to be Nate doing his own thing? Real fighting has to be involved significantly for him to entertain any other fights.
3: Yeah, it's it's just going to be Nate doing his own thing. I mean, pfl he, he's not going to do the pfl thing so that's immediately out of the way maybe bellator comes to him because they have shown some willingness to do the co-promotion thing uh you know a la Fedor, et etc but i i think they're going to be offers the offers are going to exist i think bkfc maybe would have the inside track on it because they have seemingly an endless amount of money and i don't know where it all comes from uh but I'm, they can throw some cash at him, and that might work for like a one-off. But I really don't want to see him in BKFC just because that man—that man gets cut from a light breeze. Like I bare knuckle fighting is just gonna literally rip his face to shreds. So hopefully that's not, and I just don't think it is because the next step is Jake Paul. Like he's doing that; nothing's gonna be in between that. It's just the Jake Paul boxing match, and by the time that ends up happening. Let's call it early-ish next year. Maybe it gets delayed till next summer. Uh, Cool. Conor's going to be pretty close to out. And so then why go box Mike Perry or or whatever in BKFC when you can just wait? It's not like Nate Diaz has an issue sitting on the sidelines. He's done it many times before. He can just hold out till Conor wraps up his UFC contract, and then they can do Nate Conor 3 and they make all the money.
2: This will be a very interesting story to watch. Uh, I'm hoping the UFC will not do him dirty on the way out and they'll just cut bait. They don't hold him for the three months or give him the matching clauses or anything like that. They just let him go and and fly birdie fly. But we'll see. We'll see. But we're going to move on to that other massive story from UFC 279 coming up next. But the point for round one goes to... The man is bringing the heat. Despite not having any sleep, Shaheen Alshadi is on the
0: board. It is one to nothing. The Bellator Champion Series is back in action Friday, May 17th, live from Paris, France. Reigning bantamweight champ Patchy Mix defends his belt in a rematch against dangerous submission specialist Magomed Magomedov.
2: All right. Now we're going to set up Jed here because what a week it was for Hamzat Shumayev. He was in the news all week long from random run-ins with Paulo Costa to the press conference backstage shenanigans to massively, massively missing weight and fumbling that big old bag. But the UFC shuffles the entire card around him. Lost the main event slot, but no fines, no punishments. And then he goes into the octagon with Kevin Holland. All eyes are upon it. All the tension of this entire event was built into this one moment. Will the craziness of the week affect Hamzat in the octagon? Can Kevin Holland survive the onslaught and extend this thing? And we got our answers pretty quickly and pretty emphatically. Hamzat just straight runs Kevin Holland over. Credit to Holland. He tried his ass off to keep this fight going, scrambling away, but there's just nothing he could do. Hamzat gets the quick tap. The heel persona grows And the interest for his next fight is through the roof. So, Sean, I'll start with you here. This was a very hot topic on Friday heading into Saturday on the heck of an afternoon Twitter space. His stock has risen after all this. How did this happen? How did a guy who did so much wrong come out looking like this? Because did
4: you see the damn fight, Mike? Heck, what the hell? <laughs> like, this, this is unprecedented, what we're seeing. Like, like we we have seen a lot of guys come and go in this game. We've seen a lot of guys sort of be flashes in the pans. Have, have these fast rises where they're just knocking people out, et cetera, et cetera. This, now, this guy's now fought six times in the UFC. Five times have been actual shutouts. Like, just genuine shutouts. Like, that, that is ridiculous. And we're at the point where he is not fighting... Um, you know the the lower lower ranks people. We're not. He's not fighting top fifty people. He's fighting like top twenty, top fifteen, top ten people with this. Like Kevin Holland, I look, I I think very highly of Kevin Holland. I think very highly of Li Long. Like uh, ultimately, the people he is doing this to at this point are talented fighters who are who are very good at what they do. And Hamza Shumayev is just making it look like the easiest thing in the world. So it, there, I can see how he comes out of this smelling like roses because also too the UFC didn't punish him at all, right? Like the UFC sort of just gave him a, a pass on this. He didn't even get fined at all. Like there was really no ramification for what he did other than the fact that you don't get the Nate Diaz golden ticket, which that, that hurts. I mean, that's that would have helped him quite a bit if he had done what he did to Kevin Holland, if he had done that to Nate Diaz. I think we're looking at even more of a conversation around Hamzat Shemaev. but ultimately I mean did you see what the guy did like he he is going to be champion of the UFC whether it's at 185 or 170 it's it's inevitable and it's going to happen and now it's just a matter of which division it's going to happen in and the fact that we have reached this point uh it, it's just again it's crazy what we're seeing but ultimately I want I need I feel like we need to turn the, the attention over to the man over here because I need you to defend this I need you to make him defend this take of his that hamza Shemaev is the number one welterweight in the world because when we voted on the rankings this past cycle he gave Hamza Shemaev the number one spot in the world on the same cycle where Leon Edwards knocked out Kamara Usman with headshot one boom shot headshot dead whatever he said he knocked out Kamara Usman he the man has been eternally disrespected his entire damn career he finally gets his one moment to get his flowers and Jed can't even just go on there and make it be a unanimous eight-person vote for this man, Leon Edwards, AK, said it on the ranking show. Leon Edwards is waking up to some morning coffee. He's, he's drinking his tea. He's looking up the MMA fighting rankings. Oh, like new rankings, and he sees seven votes for Leon Edwards, number one, and one for Hamzat Shemaev. And this guy just never, ever, ever is going to get his respect because of this guy. I just can't. I can't handle it. I mean, he's not I, the I did, best
3: welterweight in the world. Like that's. That's the problem. He's just not the he best the welterweight best in the world. Win of
4: any welterweight in the world,
3: he does. And if those two fought, I would bet literally my house that Hamzat <laughs> would obliterate Leon Edwards. If the aliens came down and the Game of Thrones challenged us. Pick a welterweight guy. Who's who's going to be your welterweight? Who will fight right now, for your at life?
4: One seventy-eight pounder. He is not no, your welterweight. He's my he's welterweight too. I know he missed division. weight. He missed weight by an entire division, and then I you recognize gave him, that you gave him credit for it and jumped him over the actual champion of the world. Who no, just scored the we best talked about. See now, seen in the now, now you are
3: totally twisting what happened because we no, talked no, about that on is actually show. what happened. That is no, it is not what happened.
4: The of what happened.
3: No, what happened is that Hamzat jumped over Kamaru Usman, who lost because I had it. Usman won, Hamzat Mm -hmm. two. I think I had Leon like six. But Leon still moved up several. No, it is objectively true.
4: Hamzat is above Leon Edwards.
3: Honton has, always been, In <laughs> <my> <laughs> rankings, world, has always been above Leon Edwards. In my rankings, Honton has always been above Leon Edwards because he's better than Leon Edwards.
4: After that fight, Leon Edwards would have been number one. I'm just saying, right now, you gave credit no. to a guy who missed weight by basically an entire division over the guy who knocked out one of the pound for pound.
3: Dude, he beat the shit out of the dude t- <laughs> he fought. And here's the thing when it's you just say, an and I, I agree.
4: It's an objectively it's, wrong take.
3: It's not, and here's the thing. And you're ruining Leon Edwards. Comedy. I agree. I don't know why you're I don't you have care if I ruin comedy. it. I don't care if I ruin it. Here's the thing: when you said uh, that you know he doesn't, he he being Hamza, he lost the Nate Diaz. Carrot, I'm sure that that is true. Certainly in a broader social context, people know who who Nate Diaz is versus Kevin Holland. Though Kevin Holland's a star, certainly different levels. But had he gone in and run rough shot over Nate Diaz, I wouldn't have given that any credit because I don't care because Nate Diaz is middling at best as an actual welterweight. Pretty washed. I think Kevin Holland's really damn good. And we talked about Man, you the think Rankin Kevin show. Holland's better than Kamara Usman? No. But so what I are also, we talking about? I don't. That- I genuinely Kevin Kevin don't Holland understand why, why you guys get so mad because I have because, explained it a hundred thousand times. Lock, My rankings Lock, are not based I mean, on what Kevin happened Holland
4: in a different no, division that doesn't actually exist. That justifies being the number one in the world at 170 when we're not even sure that this guy can make 170 right now.
3: I'm like, 100% actually, sure out he here can make 170. Saying,
4: like, he, he might have to be a middleweight. Like, and you're giving him the number one spot over the guy who is eternally disrespected and just came for one second. You guys are just so mad
3: about the Leon thing. We're acting as one. We're acting as if Leon beat Usman Pillar you, to post you when grasping, he super didn't.
4: You were grasping then, for any reason not to put him at number one and you found it. That's it. No,
3: I'm not. I, I have said this from day one. My rankings are based on who would win in a fight. It is not based on results. If you're doing results – 100% agree, Leon has to because he beat Usman, who has the best results in the division. If but that it is true, you The are, primary saying, importance of my that's rankings if is that's, who if do that's I think true, would win the are, fist fight? You,
4: you have said for a year that Hamzat Shumayev is the best welterweight in the world. Why did you put him above Kamaru? Why because I actually because I
3: actually would have picked Usman to win that fight until this last iteration. Oh, until he
4: got one-shotted by Leon Edwards. Yes, uh, that's funny. No,
3: and no, I... And, he, no, I, I, I you're acting as if we didn't literally talk about this yesterday where I explicitly said, actually, I would have put Hamzat above Usman even had he saying, finished that you, fight and won it I'm because I thought he didn't you look very good. You You're coming at me with a lot like of that. very unjust arguments when I've ex- Explicitly stated. When you give a ridiculous you totally, like that, you, you cannot agree it. with the way I do it. But my methodology is my methodology, and you can't disagree with me that if they book that matchup tomorrow, you're betting your freaking car on Hamza to beat Leon Edwards' ass because he's better than him, dude. It's just how it is. You said it yourself. This guy is gonna be champion whether it's 170 or 185. It's gonna be both actually, and he's better. If you want to prioritize accomplishments. No problem with that. 100% Leon has more of them than Hamza, But this dude has blanked four of five fighters in the UFC. That doesn't happen. And if they fought tomorrow, Leon is going home in a body bag. So he's my number one until such time as he loses or shows me that he is definitively not a welterweight. Because I get it. Big weight miss super bad. A lot of dudes have missed weight, and we don't do this chicken little skies falling like, I don't know if he can ever make it again. It's the first time it's ever happened. Wait, if this becomes don't a recurring issue, don't. he's made 170, so we're clear. Not the 171. He has made 170 championship weight. If it happens again, I'm absolutely willing to to reevaluate and say nah. But I'm not listening to what people say or whatever, or this, this general fear because – He's never had the issue before. so why should i why should I look at this as this is a recurring problem and not this is a one-off instance of odd?
4: All I'm saying is the general facts of the case are that beating the number 15 welterweight in the world in our eyes, because that's what Kevin Holland was, and missing weight by eight pounds is enough to jump you into the number one spot in the world, even in the same month. Yeah, because my and eyeballs, the guy, I even have the same month that the other guy who's on uh, a 12 fight unbeaten streak and hasn't lost since like 2015, uh, brutally yeah, knocked out of the year, the number one consensus pound for pound person in the world for most people, that's all.
3: To quote how you kicked off your segment, because I watched the fight. <laughs> I have eyeballs and I know yeah, who the he hell Kevin better.
4: Yes, he, he very thoroughly beat Kevin Holland.
3: Uh, just we can end because I know we're going long. Uh, That's okay. The, here's the statement of my case, Sean. Uh, if we were to match up Leon Edwards and Hamza Chemaev tomorrow, uh, who would you pick to win that fight?
4: Well, if I had wheels, I'd be a wagon to use a jet
3: phrase. Mm, <laughs> mm, sounds I'm a saying. lot. Sounds a lot like you like, just don't want to say. It sounds I'm like you're just
4: making things up because I, I do my rankings based I, off results that happen in the world. I that don't. I,
3: see. I don't. That's <laughs> that's, what I'm that's we've established. I do, my, that, so. I do my
4: rankings based on results. Results that have happened that I, I have watched.
3: I, I do my rankings based on what my eyeballs tell me, which is that dude is the best fighter in the world. <laughs>
2: All right. All right. Hold on. We're we're going to keep this going. Jed, I'm going to go back to you because the question is, what do we do with him now? All right. Do we just get him back in there? Like before the end of the year, just give him a middleweight fight, maybe throw That's him in question. early 2023, throw him in there with Paul Costa, or do they just give him another chance next? Do they say, hey, first time, we'll give you a pass. We'll give you the fight with Colby. Like, like, do they give him a title fight next after whoever's champ? Because there's no there's no punishment here. There's no punishment. So, Magic Pencil time. Are we doing Hamza at 170? Are we doing Hamza at 185? Wherever you're going, who's he fighting?
3: There's no punishment, but there is an opportunity cost loss here. He cannot fight for the title coming off a weight miss. I, I honestly don't think that's ever happened in UFC history. But it's fine. We, this... I'm if you want to do the Costa, that, at least that fight has some spice to it or whatever. I think that's really bad just because it derails the whole conversation. And it's like, all right, well, now he's going to be this unless he is wants to be a middleweight. He doesn't. He says he wants to be a welterweight. Darren Till says he can make welterweight. They seem to think he can. I seem to think he can do it. Uh, I mean, yeah, it's fine. Uh, I think the the obvious choice is at the beginning of next year when the UFC goes back to England, they're going to do the three match between Kamaru Usman and Leon Edwards, and Hamzat faces the winner of Bilal Muhammad, Sean Brady, or Colby Covington. Uh, one of those two guys in the co-main event or maybe the feature match of that can serve as a de facto backup should something happen to the title fight. He can come in. He can make 170 championship weight on the dot. Prove to all the haters that this is all nonsense. He will absolutely obliterate whoever it is he faces, be it Colby Covington or whatever. And and then he moves on.
2: Sean, your response to that. And now you have the magic pencil. How are we doing this? I just love that
4: his response was: "This guy he has is the number one welterweight in the world. Maybe he fights a middleweight because it seems like he might be a middleweight." Um, I have to. It's say not because it, it
3: seems like he might be a middleweight; it's because that fight has juice to it. Like there's a lot of heat behind him fighting Paulo Costa, who is a middleweight.
4: Well, I, I look forward to Paulo Costa challenging for Hamzat Shmaev's welterweight title that he has already been given, uh, okay. at, at least in the eyes of of the MMA fans. You finals.
3: you Pardon acted me. like I pissed AK off, and you're the one seeming extra extra salty. Oh, right? I'm just messing with you, oh. my guy.
4: I'm just I just <laughs> like needling you because it's easy. Um, also, because I'm exhausted. <laughs> Sorry, uh, but no. I mean, you give me the magic pencil, it. I wrote this in my post fight column. It, it, this feels pretty easy, right? Like this is ultimately going to come down to what does his team want to do and what does the UFC want to do. If they want to go to middleweight, I like the Robert Whitaker fight because ultimately I think Hamzat Shumayev has to be in a number one contender fight, regardless of whatever. Division it is. He needs to be in a number one contender fight next. Robert Whittaker is that guy at middleweight, so I like the Whittaker fight. I know they've talked about like they actually want to train together, and I, that was actually really slick on Robert's part because if I was Robert, I would say that too. Uh, but I, love, I, I think the Whittaker fight makes sense. Costa wouldn't be bad either, just because there's juice behind it. But ultimately, the one that I do want is if because you know his coach, Andreas Michael said on the MMA Hour, we have put in so much work, and at welterweight, we want to respect the work we have done at welterweight. If Hamzet Shami can make 170. If he can consistently make 170, and this was just a blip in the radar, an eight pound blip, then I think the Colby Covington fight is a given. Because that is, at this point, a number one contender fight. He's seen how Leon uh, go three goes. If Leon ends up winning that fight, that is actually a number one contender fight as well for Colby, even because he, then he's sort of back in the mix. And ultimately, I want to see Colby Covington fight a relevant welterweight in this division because he has been squatting on this ranking a really long time off the off the basically the strength of two losses to the guy who is now the former champion he i need to see colby fight someone who is actually relevant in this welterweight division because we do not have Jorge masvidal ranked in the top 15 on mma fighting on mma fighting and ultimately like colby is just sort of hanging around in this top spot uh, I just I think that fight makes a ton of sense for everybody involved. I think it, stylistically, it's a really great matchup, and just it's, it's a very interesting style matchup for Hamza Shammai. Because Colby is, is is very unique in what he brings to this 170 pound division. He, he has a lot of wrestling and he has a lot of pace, and and we could see whether that uh, maybe it could be a weakness of Hamza Shammai. I don't think it would be. I think Hamza probably runs through Colby, but ultimately that fight makes too much sense to me not to book if they're going to stay with
2: Hamza at 170. No one wanted the Robert Whittaker fight heading into 279 more than I did, but after seeing their back and forth, I kind of think Robert Whittaker would be a really good influence for Hamzad Shemayev. So let's just hold off on that fight and, <laughs> let, and let let take some of that Bobby Knuckles, you know, so, some of that stuff between the ears. Maybe we could transfer that over to Hamzad. I think Bobby Knuckles will kind of put him in the right spot. But real quick, I do want to touch on this. Sean Tony Ferguson, you have been the driver of the oh, El Capu for a long time. Why do, we, why do we have to do this? What's next for him? Like, how do we handle this? We already have the magic pencil, so let's just keep going. <sighs> the glue factory. <laughs> Jeez, that's not right. That is not right. Um,
4: man, I don't know. That was a bummer, right? Like, I'm I, I'm not gonna sit up here and say that wasn't a bummer. It was less of a bummer than it probably would have been had he fought Li Jing Liang, but it was still a bummer. Ultimately, we can all see it. We, this is not the same Tony Ferguson that we all fell in love with. This was not the same Tony Ferguson who established himself as one of the greatest lightweights to ever lace up a pair of four-ounce gloves and put together one of the greatest streaks we've ever seen in the history of that division. It's just not the same guy. Um, I mean, I, I understand that it seems like he wants to continue going, keep keep pursuing this. I would not be upset if, if he called it quits now. I would not be upset if the next one was the last one. I hope he just doesn't turn into one of these guys who BJ pens it, who, who sort of sticks around too long to the point where we're watching, you know, Bigfoot Silva and it, that that sort of thing, where we're just seeing this really, really take a dark turn because we're not there yet. Uh, the, he's getting finished, but at least this last one, it didn't seem like he took a ton of damage. I just don't want us to see it, it get to that point where he is taking a lot of damage in these fights. I just, if it was me. Give him one more. Give him a fight where he has a fairly decent chance of winning. Don't go in and throw him in against uh, you know, a Jake Matthews or a Michelle Pereira or some like th- some welterweight who's sort of on the fringe of the top 15. Give him a very low-ranked welterweight, maybe even like a debuting welterweight or just something like that. Someone who has a decent chance of beating, or, you know, a veteran. I, I like these veteran fights, the Nate Diaz type of things. If you want to give him someone who's just been around a long time. And let him get the chance to sort of walk away on a W. He, he got at least a somewhat big payday in this Nate Diaz fight, regardless of what Dana White wants to say about nobody got pay raises. That's ob- objectively wrong. A lot of guys got pay raises with how this played out. Tony got his a little bit. That was good to see. Just give him a fight he can win or a fight he can be at least competitive in and let him sort of have that walking off into the subset moment. Because... Stuff turns in the lighter weight divisions really fast, man. And Tony Ferguson is pretty damn old at this point for 155. And anything 155 and below is not a young man's game. You cannot be an older fighter in those divisions and really, you know, function well at this point. So I just want to see Tony get out with most of his faculties intact and not taking too much damage. Hopefully, in this next one, it's his last one.
2: Jed, Sean has been the driver of the train. You have very vocally, for a long time, have. Told the world you're not you're a guy who hasn't even bought a ticket for the Tony Ferguson train, but here we are now main event with Nate Diaz. I think we we felt we felt a little bit better coming off of the card, just seeing how it all played out as opposed to Nate versus Hamza. But what do we do? What do we do, with Tony Ferguson? Now, if he wants to keep fighting, how do you how do you book him?
3: Shout out to you, Mike, uh, and the great program. On to the next one on the MMA Fighting Podcast Network. Great show, great network. I've learned a lot from you and AK Lee about matchmaking and, and how you do this. I would say that it is in Tony Ferguson's best interest to no longer fist fight people because he is, he's not, he's not faded. He's full blown washed. Like he is well done cooked steak. Like that's just, he's Ariel Helwani level of steak. And there's nothing wrong with that. He was the second best lightweight in the world for a good stretch of time. It's an incredible accomplishment. He's got a belt. He's a hall of famer one of the best lightweights ever, call it a career. He's not going to do that, and that's a shame. But here's the fight you make, and I'm going to specifically say it's not a doo-doo pick uh, for the Otno crowd just because there's no reason for Santiago Nibio to be fighting Robbie Lawler. That fight is stupid, and I don't like it because Ponzi's scheme still has some juice left, and Robbie is also on the faded side of Cooked. So we're going to just go ahead and pull Ponzi scheme out of that fight, and we're going to plug Tony Ferguson into it. And Tony Ferguson versus Robbie Lawler, two guys who don't have their fastball, probably don't even have their changeup anymore, but I don't know if that – the fight's winnable. I would favor Lawler, but Lawler has been – activity is is a weakness of his, certainly as he's aged, and Tony Ferguson – still can put forth a good amount of of effort. So I think Lawler wins a fight, but that is at least two dudes who have won like one fight combined in the last 12 or something ridiculous. It's much more my speed. It's a dope fight. It's a Legends Tour fight. Let's do that one instead.
2: I like that one. Uh, I suggested Joe Lozon. I think that's a fine fight. Could be the final one for both of those guys. So something Is Lozon in that realm. Fight again? I like that. I
4: like that more than the Robbie fight because Tony's not a welterweight. Like Tony, I know he wants to try the welterweight thing, but he's just not like an actual welterweight. He he was a lightweight. He should have been a lightweight. He should still be a lightweight. And I understand at this point, if you're in your career, you don't want to cut weight. But Robbie would make me worried. If I, if I was, if I am a Tony person, like I wouldn't want him fighting Robbie for that last one. I like the Lozon one. That's a little more his speed. It feels like.
3: Uh, I think it's still do yeah, it. I think, I think, I think, I think Lozon time. isn't cooked. And I think Robbie's cooked is that's my, I'm fine with that fight. I, I just kind of think Lozon runs through him at this point.
2: Well, we will see what happens. Let us move on. That was a hell of a round. The point for round two goes to It goes to Jed Bashu. He was he was challenged to defend his take
3: and the best world in the world, man.
2: He defended it. Uh
3: what are so weight classes on. anyway?
4: I understand how this show works, but you should not be giving credit to that bike heck. You should not be encouraging this this nonsense. Hey, listen. Listen. T- you're speaking
2: All I'm to saying a guy is- who, had, who had some very very strange pound for pound ranking picks. But we'll move on from there. Check so. back
3: in- why don't we just circle the wagons and talk about this middle of next year when we've got a welterweight champion? His name is Hamza Shemaev.
2: Yeah, I have Hamza on my pound for pound list, way higher than anybody else does, it, including Jed. Infinitely higher. How high but do you have him? I don't remember. Top ten.
3: I spicy. I spicy. can't. I if if I did my pound for pound rankings by feel, he would be one of the like four, like four or five.
2: Yeah, I wanted be, to go high It would be Volkanovsky <laughs>
3: and then, like, Tremayev. <laughs> 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 uh,
2: let's move ahead to something that will have no effect on the MMA Fighting Global Rankings. Jake Paul versus Anderson Silva is a real thing. It is happening. It is official October 29th, Glendale, Arizona. We had a pair of press conferences earlier this week between these two guys to kick things off and freaking chill, peace, sunning, which was a lot of fun, but... Jed, this is not your typical Jake Paul press conference. He was very respectful of Anderson Silva. And while controversy creates cash and Jake has a lot of it and bad blood sells pay-per-views, this is a very respectful approach from Jake Paul towards a guy, a legend, one of the greatest fighters of all time in Anderson Silva. Is this working for you, Jed? Is this build working for you?
3: Eh, I mean, I just don't. I'll watch it because it's part of my job and I would even maybe have some vague interest just because it's Anderson Silva, but I think this is the right choice because you can't, yes, controversy sells. You also can't be fake in this game. like people are people are bad and stupid at a lot of things, but mostly people are intuitive enough to believe like to understand when somebody's just totally full of crap. Uh, and that's I and mean, that's basically why Colby Covington's whole thing has hasn't really worked. Right. Like he's never really gotten over with the fans because it's it's so obviously a gimmick. And it's not even like a Chael Sonnen wink, wink. I'm in with you on it gimmick. It's he he's just comes off as a poser. And so you can't do that. And I think it would be pretty clearly contrived. I think Jake Paul understands that. And so instead, it's this. It's, hey, he's awesome. It's uh, a guy I look up to. I'm going to try and knock him out. And it's probably not going to sell as much as if there was a general uh, enmity here, but you can't fabricate that. So I think they're playing it the right way. Uh, I have a loose interest just because I desperately hope Anderson Silva wins this fight, but I think there's very likely, maybe not very likely, but I do think it is very plausible that he doesn't win this fight. Uh, And so it's fine. I do. uh, Jake had a couple of good lines in the presser yesterday. The, yeah, all of my other ones, I've been fighting assholes, so I I treated them like assholes is like a good line. Uh, but yeah, it's it's just sort of weird and tame, and maybe it'll ratchet up a little bit, you know, in the next coming in the coming weeks. But because you know, I I vaguely recall the the Mayweather McGregor stuff being pretty genial at first as well before the world tour just kind of sent it into a spiral of whatever that was. So maybe that's what happens here, but that's fine.
2: Yeah. Once, once we got to Toronto, the wheels came off that train real quick, but uh, Sean, you were there, you yeah. were there the other day for the, for the Glendale one, but you also got to speak to both men in the scrums after the fact. Did it, did it change how you feel about this fight in any way, being around these guys, seeing the respect going both ways?
4: No, not particularly. I mean, ultimately, I think it's just cool to see Anderson be so happy. Like, if, if, honestly, if I have any takeaways from sort of interacting with both these dudes and just being around that environment earlier this week, Anderson's just a happy guy now, and it, it seems like there's a lightness to him that we didn't see at the end of that UFC run. Like, this is someone who, for for the majority of his prime, in one of the greatest fighters of all time, obviously, he he really existed as a. a I don't know. I don't know the proper word that I'm looking for, but just uh, he was he was someone who loved the game so much, and that was like really his essence was he just his love of the martial arts, his love of the game, and we saw that slowly wilt and die and wither at the end of his UFC run, where he's going on this this nine fight run where he wins like one time and loses seven of them and gets knocked out a couple different times, like and the UFC still throwing him up against like Uriah Hall and stuff like this at the end of the run, where you you can't just give this guy a layup, like you still have to give him a top fifteen top top 10 middleweight like just give this guy someone someone that he could style on so we can see what we want to see out of anderson and so it it was apparent how he felt at the end of that run that he got basically used and abused and he was just stuck in this situation and he had to find his way out but now that he is in boxing it really feels like he is having a good time again He is enjoying himself he's taking the opportunities that he wants to do and ultimately i think it's cool that he's taking this opportunity because it does seem like one where it's nice to see the different side of Jake. I don't really care one way or another about Jake Paul, but it is nice to see, you know, the him respect this legend because if he was coming out guns blazing like it was against Tyron or Ben or whoever and really trying to fire shots at Anderson, I feel like it would just look a certain way that would be very bizarre because like how do you how do you do that to old man Anderson? Like this is a man who, who <laughs> obviously deserves respect. Like you can't talk shit to this guy. Like he he's just the the happiest guy in the world over there smiling, saying wow to every question. Like it, he's just a, a, a great dude over there you can't disrespect him in that capacity so i don't know it's it's just fun to see anderson i think having fun and ultimately i sort of side with jet on, on a lot of this of where just like I, I hope that anderson doesn't lose this fight i hope if he does lose that he doesn't get knocked out because i'll be there it's in it's in glendale so i'll be there and that'll, that'll really hurt my soul to see but ultimately like it's it is what it is i'm surprised jake's doing it anderson is much bigger than him anderson is still a very capable fighter It's a much, it's easily the most competitive version of this Jake Paul circus that we have seen. And I will add one other note that I'm really glad Showtime involved Chael Sonnen, because this was like, to me, the coolest part of the whole two day tour that we just did was seeing the Chael and Anderson interactions. Because there was a moment like 12 years ago, if you would have suggested to someone, go back in time 12 years ago and suggest like, hey, these two guys are not only gonna be like on good terms, but they're gonna be pretty friendly with each other and hugging and, and telling stories. That person would have just thought you were crazy. Like they would, have, there would have been no possible way that that we ever landed in a timeline where that's happening because their their rivalry was so fiery and it was so heated and it was so contentious and it just dominated the sport for like two or three years. It elevated them both to levels of superstardom that was previously unheard of for both guys, and it just felt like they were going to be the the two forever at each other's throats. And to now see them as kind of like old men talking about old times. And when I, when I did my interview with Chael, he had a really interesting, I thought, perspective on how, you know, when Anderson's career dies, my mine dies. And he still feels inextricably linked to, to sort of Anderson in this run that he's still holding on to at age 47. And it was, it was it's just a very cool perspective to hear from Chael. And I just loved everything about their interactions the whole, the whole week. The, the barbecue talk in
2: L.A., like I thought all that was very cool. It's, it's eight rounds, right? This is an eight-round fight? I believe so, yeah. I've never wanted a draw so badly where Anderson like doesn't lose, but then Nate can still get as, a, a still significantly big fight with Jake Paul, be the guy that could potentially be the first to beat him. I don't think he would, but I actually think a draw would be like the best-case scenario here. A competitive fight, not like what we saw in Tampa, because that fight was friggin' terrible until Jake Paul knocked out Tyron Woodley, but that was that was just one of the worst fights I've ever seen until the knockout but just a competitive fight respect shown a draw everybody wins nobody wins but we all win at the same time so we're going to move on because the second round was like 15 minutes past time the point for round three goes to
0: Sean El Shadi very poetic if you will it is two to one And visit bellator.com watch for information on how to watch around the world. This is the very first time you'll be able to stream a Cedric Bay fight here in the U.S., so make sure you don't miss it. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Uh, can, I,
4: can I just quickly break the fourth wall real quick? I know we're pressed on time. Casey, our, our producer, actually got to do a face off with Anderson at one of these press com- stops in LA. And, like, I can't imagine, Casey, like, what's it like looking at that dude's in the in the eyes when he's, like, turned on? Like, it's serious. Like, it's it's not a joke why anymore. Did, and he's all of a sudden. Why didn't like, you I, ask I,
3: I Anderson? Know. You should have asked Anderson what it was it like looking in Casey's yeah. eyes. The Mr. 3024. <laughs> Anderson's <laughs> lost. Casey hasn't. Just saying. <laughs> Mr. Man, who's all those, about those, results.
1: Those are facts. Those are facts. Those, those, I mean, <laughs> I'm not, I'm not gonna i'm not gonna say Jez's lying uh you were right uh anderson is at least right now because he's not cutting weight to 186 or whatever the fight's supposed to be at um anderson's big he was actually much bigger than what I, I i thought he was gonna be and um this is I like can't you know no shirt on just says uh boxing shorts on and uh yeah the big thing it was anderson was very you know yeah you know anderson very anderson but then, as soon as Esther said, oh, "Okay, we're gonna do we're gonna do kind of fake face-off photos," um, can you look at uh, my assistant? And I was standing there, and you know, I kind of put my hands up, and I thought Anderson was gonna be kind of jokingly, but man, as soon as he did that, he just—he's giving it to you.
3: He pro. just locked
1: in like that, and I was just get? like, "Ha ha ha!" And I thought he would laugh too. Nope, it was just like oh, I, I got—I legit got like. I feel like I insulted him by even looking directly <laughs> in his eyes. That, let me just say that like it was an <laughs> insulted look at him. So I guess that that sums it up. It, it was um. Oh, that's yeah. terrifying. Yeah, it was it that's was cool, terrifying, cool. but freaking awesome at the same time. <laughs> yeah.
2: Yeah, he's a big dude. Anderson's a big guy. Uh, so let's let's move on and fast forward to this Saturday because the UFC is back in the wonderful, dynamic, boisterous UFC Apex. The hangover from UFC 279 is still real. There are some fights that stick out. We got a very competitive main event between Corey Sanhagen and Song Yidong. Top three fights are pretty good, but Sean, top to bottom, how are you feeling about this one? We're coming off 279. All the storylines. We were exhausted before that freaking fight card even began on Saturday, and now we have to fast forward another week. Here we are. What do you think of this card? Are you are, are you are you excited? Are you giddy for UFC Vegas 60? I'm just brimming with excitement, Mike.
4: Can't you tell? I'm just so excited. I'm giddy. (laughs) I'm overwhelmed by it. I can't... No, it's a terrible card. It's a crap card. Like, it's a (laughs) one-fight card. It it is. It's, It's a really, really bad card. Like, we've been getting quite a few bad cards. This is... Very high on the list of, of bad cards. The the first the the top fight is incredible, right? Like Corey Sanhag and Song Yudong is is a monster fight. I am really looking forward to that. I've been high on Song Yudong for a long time. I, I think he has a really cool backstory too, of just growing up in like this monk temple and like sort of basically living an entire life of martial arts. And I, I've said for a long time, I think Corey Sanhag is going to be a champion in this division at some point. Uh, maybe I'm getting maybe that that take in that stock is at its all time lowest right now. But ultimately, I still feel really good about that that prediction i think at some point he's going to take it but other than that like this card is what it is i'm I'm sure it'll be fun i'm sure it'll be fine it seems like lately these really terrible one fight cards end up actually just being full of of fun finishes and they're almost like regional cards in that sense where if you go to like your just local regional card on a saturday or a friday it's a lot of like fun action and stuff i'm sure we're going to get some of that but just in terms of name value and actual you know ramifications and stakes and things results that matter and guys that we're going to be talking about as top 10 guys in the world this is not it.
2: Jed, is this a skip the barbecue, skip the college football slate kind of card for you? I can tell by the face that, you know, maybe it is.
3: I mean, the college football slate's kind of ass this weekend as well. So it, uh, it depends on how, like, keyed up you are to watch your home team. This didn't skip anything. This card is... Um, it's 14 fights. Let's just start there. That's so <laughs> many fights. It is generously an early card. It's 4 p.m. start time, which is lovely. But when you have 14 fights, it, it's almost like it doesn't matter. You're not getting yourself any extra because you're just loading fights. We don't need this many. Now, granted, Aspen Ladd is is fighting, so like that fight could fall off the card at any point in time but that's one of the better fights on the card. So if we lose that fight, that sucks. Also, let me be clear. That's not a good fight. It's just one of the better ones. And certainly the most significant fight on the card outside of the main event, basically. So like, we don't want to lose the things that are valuable, even if losing anything would at least trim us down and make us a little leaner and, and more palatable. Uh, I think the co main event will be pretty fun just because Robocop's a really fun dude. Like all of his fights have been pretty fun. So that's okay. Uh, Is Andre Feely watched? I don't know. How interested are you in answering that question? Is that that will determine your level of interest here? Like there's, we've got some heavyweights on the main card. Always a good time to put heavyweights anywhere in a fight card. It's just a bad card, man. And maybe, like Sean said, we get a regional outcome with a bunch of finishes, but like that doesn't make the card better. It doesn't make this more enjoyable. It is coming off the heels of 279, which was a really, really bad card on paper as well. Uh, But at least when we got the switchovers, it it felt better. We were happier about it. It gave us big storylines. And honestly, that's the biggest, my single biggest issue with this card. What are the stories here? Next week when we're doing this and I've defeated John Elshadi and I'm facing whoever, whatever jabroni you want to roll up here to get dunked on. Cool. What are the four questions you're going to have? Because it it can be, all right, well, Corey Sanhagen's song and dong was dope. Uh, where do we go from here? And there's nothing else like barring something unbelievably cool happening on this card. Like, we're not gonna be talking about Bill Algio or Alan Amadowski. Like that's just not a thing that's gonna happen. So it's it feels so empty. It is such a we gotta get 42 events per year up on ESPN to hit our obligations. Here you go. Main events incredibly fun. But like if the main event falls through, knock on wood, don't want that to happen. Don't Who's do that. stepping in? Don't do who that. Who is who is taking the main event here? You're not putting Chidi and Kawani versus Gregory Rodriguez as the main event of a fight night card. I guess it has to be Aspen Ladd, Sarah McMahon, but, like, holy hell, man. This is a tough one. I say it a lot, and a lot of fans get mad at me because I'm yucking their yum. I never want to yuck your yum, guys. If you want to watch this, have at it. I love you for it. I love your enthusiasm about the sport. All I'm saying is if you have other things to do, Totally do them. This one is one you can skip and you can go to MMAfighting.com. It's a great website. And we're going to have live coverage. We're going to have live blogs. We're going to have all of the limited stories coming out of this for you to catch up <laughs> on. You can see the highlights and you can spend time with your family if that's something you choose to do. Now, if you don't have anything else to do on Saturday night, it's fist fights. Oh, you know, it's totally fine. I'm just saying, if it were me and I didn't have to work this, I might choose to go to com, great website to stay up to date on all the things that happen while also being social with my friends on a Saturday evening.
2: I mean, first of all, was, <laughs> let me say,
4: forget your family, hang out with us. We're your family. We're your real family. We love you so much. Also, the, the, we have to mention the, the man who has one of the greatest BTL appearances of all time is fighting on this card, Damon Jackson, undefeated, did the whole show while, while running a damn treadmill. It's like,
1: true.
4: That man thoroughly beat me while running a treadmill. Like We have to give that man some props. He is fighting this But he's going to
3: lose because that's going to be the fight. You That's your low-key banger. I don't know if we're doing that, Mike, but 100%. I know for a fact that, that was your Loki banger. That's, that's the the correct is, the,
2: Well, that's the answer. Yeah. Pat Sabatini. Yeah. Huh? yeah. Uh, so we'll, we'll end with this Jed. We're going to play a game of true or false. I know it's cliche to ask a question like this when it comes to two guys and two gals fighting. Every fight is a must win. True or false. This is a must, must, must win for Corey Sandhagen.
3: Ooh. Yeah. I'm going to say true. Um, which I think maybe is a bit bold just because I'm about to look up. He's 30. Okay. I thought he was maybe a little younger the issue is, if he loses this fight, it's it's because Song Yudong has arrived. Like I, I think this kid has a very bright future, but he is only twenty four. So, like, I don't think he's there yet. I think we've seen development from him, but he has shown nothing to make me think he beats Corey Sandhagen. But if he does, it's because he took the leap. And if he took the leap, that's a problem for anybody at bantamweight. Like, just real talk, that dude will be a handful if he makes that big you know, next step up in competition. So at that point, that doesn't mean that a, a loss for Corey Sandhagen keeps him out of fighting for a title one day, but it does make it unlikely he ever wins the title because Song mm. is is now going to be the guy ahead of him. Along with, I mean, we all saw the Aljo fight, even if maybe we think it would go somewhat different, it's hard to pick him to beat Aljamain Sterling in a rematch given how thoroughly just rinsed he was in that so that puts two dudes clearly ahead of him in in the pecking order so i'm going to say that this is a must win for him
2: sean do you agree true or false i mean not just must win this is a have to have it because if he loses and no matter how you feel about the tj dillashaw fight that's three straight l's and that'll put him at two and four over his last six especially in this division man where there's so much happening and so many big fights that continuously are being booked you got the marabs you got the marlon Vera's. and if song beats a man it's a long road back is this about as must win as it gets for this guy
4: must win i don't think so i mean i i think Corey stanhagen is young enough to and has enough of it in front of him to be able to build back if he does lose uh but it, it certainly would would set him back a long way right because at this point if you look at sort of his run in the ufc I think he won the Dillashaw fight. I think a lot of people felt like he won the Dillashaw fight. I know on Wikipedia it's a red L, but in my eyes that was a win. So if you if you discount that, he's really only lost to Peter Jan and Aljamain Sterling, and those are the two guys who I think all of us would say are the two best bantamweights in the world. So of course Sanhag is in is in that air where those are the people he he are losing to and, and no one else. That is a much better situation than, as you said, if he loses three in a row, and then all of a sudden we're talking about him on the bottom half of the top 10 having to work his way back up. That's not a death sentence by any means, but it would certainly put him back several years. And at that point, he is making uh, the last good run
2: or or sort of doing that type of of move. All right. Let's go to the scorecards. The point for round four goes to... I mean, just a delightful comeback round for Jed Mishu. It is two to two. Swinging that hammer. All right, that means it is time for the knockout round. One question to decide it all. It'll be the same kind of a question, and you gentlemen could go wherever you would like to go with this. But Jed, champion's prerogative, my man. You're coming off the, I guess, the last appearance, so... You've just been here so often, but have won so few <laughs> times. So <laughs>
3: it's—I would have won last week if i chosen to go first. You handed a question that was go first and win. <laughs> it was like, oh, okay, well, I can't possibly win because I chose to go second. So I got so screwed what are we on do that. Uh, I'm trying to look at MMAfighting.com, we great website to see what stories we haven't talked about that. Uh, that maybe is this going to maybe, be who's the number one welterweight in the world? No, we already talked about that. His name is Hamza Shmayaev. In the same way, you guys don't blame Charles Oliveira for missing weight. <laughs> Hamza Shmayaev, what? I, <laughs> how is that comparable? <laughs> same. He missed weight. They both missed weight.
4: Yeah, you're right. A goes. quarter of a pound is the is the same as 10 the
3: same or seven pounds. It's Sorry, it is it's it is what it is. Uh, I'm stalling, so I'll take the I second. Clearly.
2: <laughs> You're going second.
3: <laughs> Sorry, uh, it's I a binary. Kind of hoping- you make way to you don't, Sean.
2: I was kind of hoping you would go first, but I will turn it over to Shaheen. He will go first. And what many people probably know by now, if you listen to the ranking show every month, Sean is, without Sean, without AK, we're probably not doing what we're doing right now. Sean has to take care of a parent, but on rankings time, Sean has to take care of the whole staff. He is constantly poking and prodding us to get our rankings in in time to do all of these things. So he is, no one is more aware of what is going on at these rankings than this man. So what Shaheen might've seen since the pound for pound rankings have come out, people be upset, people have been throwing out some fire, They have been throwing out some takes, questioning the ability, questioning the only rankings that matter in all of mixed martial arts. So, Sean, you're basically one of the co-chairs of the MMA Fighting Global Rankings. In one minute, I want you to tell all these people, all these negative Nancys, why they are wrong to question us. What did we do wrong in these pound for pound rankings? Because I feel like we've done nothing wrong. One minute on the clock, go. I'm not sure I understand what what you're asking me to do here. I'm at, you're asking me to defend the whole website. You're defending our pound for pound ranking, Sean. You've seen the give Sean full
3: time on the clock, Casey. Yeah, because I'm gonna you know, I'm gonna rinse him so he can take as much time. Why as Why is wants.
2: Leon higher than Usman? Okay. I thought you oh, guys the were just getting seriously. Yeah, Let's, just defend. I mean, the we man. can dive yeah, into just the Leon thing him. because when
4: these came out leon edwards was number four in the world in our, in our new pound for pound rankings and apparently this is a crime to everybody there were a lot of people very upset about it i saw mike heck in the comments arguing with people i saw jed michu in the comments arguing with people i don't understand the outrage dude goes out there and again just washes kamaru usman in that with the knockout of the year i understand it's a comeback but also he was very competitive in the first round it's not this 24 minute ass kicking that some people painted out to be You beat the number two pound for pound guy in the world because we had Volkanovski at number one. You deserve to jump up to that spot. He didn't, it's not like we were very egregious with it and Leon's the number two guy in the world. Like Leon's number four, that's fine. I don't understand the problem with that. Usman's still like number six, I think. And, and, And frankly, Leon should probably be like number five because the only reason he's not is because Casey just doesn't include any heavyweights in his entire pound-for-pound ranking. So Francis Aganu is just completely gone. So that, that sort of limits Francis Agano's ceiling. Uh, but either way, I don't know. People have problems with pound-for-pound, and it's very silly. Pound-for-pound is very objective. None of it – it's all just opinion. I mean, wh- what does it actually mean? Because if you're if you're doing the old thing of like, hey, if, if they were all the same weight, who would win? then the answer is flyweights and bantamweights would beat everybody. Cause they'd just be so much physically, like they would have the physical skills over everybody else with the speed and everything. So That's people just get wrong and it's fine.
2: All right. Jed, same question. I'm, I, I actually, it's very rare that I actually go into the website to like, look at comments, but I'm looking at them right now and we're basically twofold. It's either Shemayev's the best or Shemayev's the worst or there's no way Leon Edwards should be ranked above Kamaru Usman on any kind of a pound for pound list. So, uh, we'll just, I guess we'll just kind of stick with there. That's the most consistent beef, but this is the first time in a pound for pound rankings. That I've been tagged in some heat. So I'm aware of this for now. If there's other stuff happening before that, I'm not aware of it, but I'm certainly aware of this one. Jed, you know what to do go.
3: So there are a lot of different things to respond to first. Uh, our rankings are wrong because an unnamed panelist doesn't include Francis Ngannou, who very clearly is the third best fighter in the world. Uh, also, I already named him. Of, I just named I'll, him. Yeah, but I'm not going to name him because I'll throw that shade at my at my peoples. Uh, also, <laughs> on on Sean's point that. Flyweights would beat everybody if we balloon them up. No, because don't you all know the Google thing where like if you shrunk a dude down to the size of an ant, he could jump out of a blender or whatever. Like if we could condense Francis and Ganu to a flyweight, he actually might decapitate a human being with a punch. If you get all that power condensed into that small package. So, Francis Ngannou is getting jobbed. Our rankings are wrong. Our rankings are also wrong because Israel Adissian is getting jobbed because he clearly has more relevant wins than Alexander Volkanovsky. Anybody who has issues with Leon being over Usman, you guys are absolutely ridiculous because he knocked the dude out. He kind of gets to take the spot, even if the bulk of his career isn't as good as Usman's. And, Sean, you're wrong because just tell me who else. uh, Izzy's beaten everybody in the top five of his division. Volk hasn't. Izzy's resume is actively better he beat Max three times.
4: <laughs> beating Max three times is it's do- infinitely do- better than anything he's done. And I have immense respect for Robert, Robert Whitaker. I have immense respect for Robert Whitaker. But beating Max three times is like an incredible achievement upon which no one else Super really has. Volk is the number one fighter in the damn world. and it, I'm just, That's all. It is like, I'm is being, he beating Robert Whitaker twice? Which I think is need to justify because the people know that's
3: right. Alexander Volkanovski is going out there putting on
4: entertaining performances and utterly dominating people.
3: Yeah, no, it's it, it, Izzy's the best fighter in the world. I'm sorry, he's sad. I'm sorry, he's not that fun to watch. He's beating, he's beating more better people. Like it just is what it is.
4: You're right. Jared Cannonier and Max Holloway are the same thing.
3: He beat one. He beat Whitaker twice. I also don't, don't value beat the Whitaker. same dude. He beat him twice. I thought convincingly. And he, I don't value beating the same dude over and over and over again because, dude, cool, you that did that. The same dude is Max Freakin'
4: Holloway, who is an all-timer, legend, one of the greatest featherweights of all time. Like, what are we talking about?
3: Also, I'd like to backtrack very briefly to that. He barely beat Whitaker. Ain't you one of them fools who said Max won the second one? So we're, we're, you're coming out of both and sides. And then very
4: convincingly lost the third one.
3: Yeah. I Again, I, I think he's the second best fighter in the world. But he's beaten two guys in his like in the top five of his weight class. Beat more of them.
4: Volkanov, uh, the best so, fighter in MMA. I don't know what we're talking about. This is this is the people understand this.
3: His the name people isn't Hamzad Chimaev, so he's not the best fighter in MMA. <laughs> I
4: think I, I think
2: we have I think we have all. <laughs> At least we can circle back. At least we can circle back to where we started. Oh, yeah. Put a bow uh, on I think, I think what we've all learned is that it's something that I say after on to the next one, at the at the end of every show. Don't take this stuff too seriously. I'm mean, supposed to be fun. And Pound take for Pound so seriously. Like you guys take this way too seriously. Pound for Pound is dumb. Pound for Pound is dumb. Just like the go conversation's dumb. Greatest Pound for Pound of all time is dumb. It's all subjective. Dang, it's all you how you guys. feel. And you can interpret it however you want. So calm the frig down. It's not that big of a deal. Leon Edwards kick Kamara Usman upside his face. That means he takes his spot. I don't care what happened the rest of the match. He Mike. kicked him in the face. It's Preach not like Mike Leon that. tripped and fell and all of a sudden he spun over and hit an elbow to Kamara Usman's jaw and knocked him out. He kicked him in the friggin' face. Why are we so upset about this? He kicked him in the face. Jad, I'm stealing your thunder here because you said that so eloquently to right. Brian right. Campbell. He kicked him in the friggin' face. Enough. Enough. He deserves the spot. And if, guess what? If Kamara Usman beats him in the rematch, Guess what happens? Usman takes the spot. And if Leon Edwards wins 24 minutes of that fight and Kamar Usman punches him in the face and knocks him out, Usman's still better than him. All right?
1: Casey, you have my vote for today. If, if there, if I was you able guys, to vote on this poll, Mike, I would vote.
2: For I'm him. actually like, yeah, I, 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 I gotta I change a poll. To I, the I gotta
1: include Mike in the poll now because I think Mike just tried, <laughs> yeah. to, I think Mike might have won that last round. He is the has reigning champ. Team.
3: I respect Mike leading into that with, you guys take this way too seriously and, <laughs> and then Dana you know, White red I, in the I, face. Yeah, he, the he flipped, the flipped his table over. Yeah, well, you take this way too seriously. Set him the face. And say that it's so egregious to say that Leon Edwards is better and like,
2: calling out our our skill set for pound for pound matchmaking like we don't know what we're talking about like we're a joke it's just dumb Casey I just like hitting the, the couch blocks to, to
4: tell people it's supposed to be fun while
2: you're just, uh,
3: <laughs> just yelling at them. Yeah. fun <laughs> we having a good time
2: have some have fun this <laughs> is
3: fun we're having fun <laughs>
2: Hey, if my kid breaks a glass, like I'm gonna yell at him, but then I'll be like, "Hey, let's go play outside. <laughs> like it's over. So, now we're done. I said my piece, and now we're gonna have fun. But relax, everybody. Relax I had fun the whole show. Relax, relax,
1: <laughs> relax, relax. You oh, freaking jerks. You. This is fun.
2: I relax love right now. I love you. Guys. You gotta keep our so composure. <laughs> Casey. Ugh. Do we have, to have votes tabulated? We're going to have we a preview got... show sometime tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, prepare, getting Ooh, you ready for this card that we have put show. over big time. Uh, a preview so hard. Uh, <laughs> Casey, who wins? We do have a winner. So,
1: uh, it was. we did have draw in there, too. So, with... 27% draw. of the votes going to draw. He's
4: low. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. I 27. Say,
1: 27%. They thought this was so close. They gave it a 10-10. But we wow. do have a winner. Your winner is... With 39% of the votes and still Jed Mashu.
3: Wow. Hey. That was, that was really shot. close. If it was thirty nine percent was yeah, the Yeah, what goal. was
1: what was the 39 percent for Jed, thirty-four percent for Shaheen, and twenty seven percent for draw.
3: That'd have been okay with there the draw there.
1: I'm curious what that would have yeah. been without the draw option. Yeah. Well, mm. who knows? Next next
2: week, we'll guys. Next
3: know. week we'll figure it out. It would have been fifty seven percent Mike. Mike Mike really grows <laughs> well, <close>, strong. <laughs> <laughs>
2: It's a thousand degrees in here and I just lost my cool for a second. Jed, you win. This is awesome. What do you want to say? You're just (laughs) pouring sweat over there.
3: I I just want to say that MMAfighting.com is a great website and that despite what my colleagues have been trying to tell you for the last five minutes about how rankings don't matter and none of this means anything, it all does matter because we love you. We want to provide you the best content and I'm excited that you guys care so much about it so please continue to fire your takes about my takes to me and i will keep talking back to you and explaining why you're wrong or why you're right if you agree with me
2: (laughs) all right sean i appreciate you jumping on uh any any last words or final words for this program not in life
4: no, it's okay. You, if this is what you people want, if, if you want, uh, you know, Hamza Shemaev not missing weight and he's the number one guy in the world over the guy who just <laughs> knocked out Kamaru Usman with the knockout of the year, hey, that's fine. If that's the takes you enjoy, hey, those are the takes you enjoy. Stephen A. Smith makes a lot of money and Skip Bayless makes a lot of money. I guess that's what we live in. What can I do? Wow. I'm just over here trying to speak some sense, Mike. You understand some sense. You have...
3: I can't wait. Leon Edwards. I can't is your number wait one for my victory world. lap. Everyone does with me. I recognize I'm on an island, but... Look, sometimes you discover America when you're just out there on those islands, and that's what I'm doing, because Hamza Chmaev's about to be the champion in the same way I've been on Islam Makachev Island for, like, damn near a year. Two, UC 280, baby. I'm going to take a big victory lap when Ann New is said.
1: Jed Mishu, the Christopher Columbus of Between the Links. <laughs>
4: yeah. All right. Well, what's that... I'm not sure yeah. I like that, actually.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
4: We
2: can hit the exit music now.
4: I'm the real winner, Tom. That's
2: how we're exiting. Yeah. <laughs> oh, all
3: right.
2: hit, all right. We can hit the music. All right. Thank you very much. We'll be back next week, 1 p.m. Eastern. We'll do it again. What are we going to talk about? I don't know. We'll find
3: out. The Sport nothing. Never lets Us Down. We're going to talk about check. Corey Sandhagen and nothing.
4: <laughs> you are glistening, <laughs> Mike. Actually. You are glistening. <laughs>
2: I am. It's, I mean, by the way, next week I'm going to have a, a mobile standing air conditioner in here and people are coming out Uh-oh. to drill holes and all this stuff. We're going to cool this baby off next week and you get to be here to watch it all unfold. In a nice cool room. Jed, for I am Mike Heck, the iconic voice of Esther Lynn takes you home. Thank you, Casey. We'll see you back Between the Links next week. Good night, everybody.
0: This has Love been Between guess. the Links, an MMA fighting production on the Vox Media Network.
2: You're listening to the Vox Media Podcast Network.